Welcome to another Dragonlance Saga review episode. It is Misham Deep Cult the 23rd. My name is Adam, and today I'm going to uh, give you my spoiler review of The Dawning of a New Age by Gene Rabe. Now, I will be spoiling the story, so if you don't want to know it, go read the book, then come back, and we'll chat about it a little bit. It'll have to be in the comments, though, because I won't be live by then. Though I do have to say, this book didn't take very long to get through. It's uh, like 344 pages, very quick read, and it connects with some really beloved characters, and so it sort of made it fly by for me personally. So I hope, uh, anyway, well, if you end up reading it, I hope you enjoy it. Now, I would like to take a moment and thank the members of this YouTube channel and invite you to consider becoming a member by visiting the link in the description below and always remind you that you can pick up Dragonlance Gaming Materials using the affiliate links in the description below as well. This is my perspective only. So if you disagree with it, guess what? That's okay, that's called life. And that's a good thing. We don't have to agree on everything. But I do want to hear why that you disagree with mine or, or what you loved or hated about this novel. Let me know also if you're joining live, of course there, but also in the comments below if you're not. Andrew, how you doing? Good to see you. It's Friday here for me, except it's not, it's Thursday. It's my Friday. I don't have to work tomorrow. So happy, uh, happy Friday. This is some terrible shitty whiskey that I bought by accident. <laughs> Could have taken it back, but that would have required effort. Chris, how you doing? Good to see you. You just read this one. Good. Well, we have some stuff to talk about then. So the way these reviews work is that I'll give you my pre-written review. And then on the tail end of that, if you have any questions or comments, throw them up in the chat. And then I'll just sort of address them and we can just sort of riff a little bit on uh, Dragonlance. Again, this is my Friday today, so I'm just going to sort of... You know, hang out as long as you want to hang out, and then I'll go live my life, <laughs> as, as should you. All right, here we go. The story starts during the Chaos War as a bit of a prelude. Palin is taking the spellbook of Magius from Raceland and teleports to the Abyss. Then it switches to Kelindros, who's been traveling portals to the other planes of existence, searching for Kitiara. He actually finds her in the Grey. This is something I forgot. So he returns to Kryn to locate a suitable body. He believes a draconian will do, draconian will do, when approached by one, sharing the demands of Tachesis, that all dragons to join her in the abyss to fight chaos, Kelindros doesn't really care about chaos and uses dark magic to empty the soul from the draconian, making a vessel for Kitiara, which doesn't work. And in despair, he cries, his tears mixed with the magic which created the first dragon spawn to begin with. Now that Kelindros has a body, he returns to the Holdrafolk portal to enter the Grey again in order to bring Kitiara's soul back. When he discovers its magic is gone, the moons are also gone, replaced with a single pale moon. A Holdrafolk named Fisher appears and tells him about chaos, the gods and magic leaving. Kelindros is so upset and he plans to use the portal's uh, I'm sorry, he plans to use the portal to the abyss that's in the Tower of High Sorcery in Palanthus in order to enter the abyss and then travel to the grave from the abyss in order to collect Kitiara. Palin has been having visions of Kelindros, so he travels to Palanthus and warns a black-robed sorcerer who must be Dalimar, though they never say who it is. Dalimar then takes the staff that's described as the Staff of Magus, which Dalimar should not have, and brings down the tower to stop Kelindros from accessing its power. This infuriates the dragon overlord, who is just a blue dragon at this point, who then throws a tantrum and leaves. 
He returns to his lair and then produces more spawn. What's important to note about at this point, Kelandros has aged like 200 some odd years since his time traveling through the different planes of existence searching for Kitiara. So time on Kryn has been 10 years, but time in, you know, outer space or whatever, you know, he's, he's aged a lot. So he's infinitely larger than he was and more ancient than he was before. So Malstrix ends up finding her way to Kryn, thanks to Kelandros, and begins consuming all creatures that she finds. She accidentally eats a small black dragon, thinking that it was just a lizard, and meets other dragons who tell her about the world of Kryn. She sets up a home and terrorizes the area as more dragons come to challenge her. She kills one after the other and absorbs their power, then tells other dragons about absorbing weaker dragon's power, which then makes them stronger in the absence of other power on Kryn, other magic on Kryn, and the dragon purge begins. We then jump through time 20 years, and the dragon purge has ended, and we're introduced to various dragon overlords. Then it cuts to 30 years after the War of the Chaos War, where Palin is holding the last conclave with the Master of the Tower and the Shadow Sorcerer. These are two new characters that they don't really explain where they came from, just sort of give tangential information about them. So the Master of the Tower is sort of the personification of the Tower of Weyrith. And, like, this sort of physical manifestation of the Tower of Weyrith. The Shadow Sorcerer, whom, for everyone who's read War of Souls, knows that it's actually Tachesis. But at the time that this was released, no one had a clue who it was. It looked like Cobra Commander from G.I. Joe, where it's just like this silver shield over its face. And it has sort of a male voice, but no one really knew who the hell it was. I tell you what, when I was reading this the first time, I was going crazy crazy trying to meet and all my friends because you know this came out i think it was like uh, i don't know in the 90s sometimes whenever it came out me and my friends were passing the book around going who do you think that is who could it possibly be and then the fifth age saga system game came out and we were playing that instead of second edition DD because it was the new Dragonlance, and we were so excited about trying to figure out all these sort of secrets and what this book does really well is sets up a, a world that is familiar of course it's Dragonlance, but it's the beginning of the new age this is the first book to be written about the new age and gene rabe is taking over uh for weiss and hickman in order to sort of define the direction that Dragonlance will go in its main story arc of this time period and so she does this really wonderful job which upon reading it is a little bit frustrating but upon reflection is really great of not telling you who each of these characters are initially she alludes to who they could be so that the game developers and other authors can then flesh it out in the future. But she just sort of sets this mysterious foundation for this new and mysterious era when it was released. And it inspired uh, guesses, it inspired hypotheses, it inspired delving into Dragonlance history, trying to figure out who exactly these people are. Is it Raceland? Is, you know, is it Delamore? Is it Fizban? Like you have no idea. And that was what was so great about it in the time that it came out. Okay. So, where were we? Um, I remember being so curious about who these people were. It just kept me tuned in. And even though it was Raceland, uh, even, I even thought it was Raceland who brought down the Tower of Palanthus, not Dalimar. And of course, it was clarified later that it was, in fact, Dalimar. Um, and then the, the fact that they refer to everyone as Sorcerer instead of Wizard. Even before the gods left i thought was a little bit strange but they're just sort of priming you as a reader to stop thinking of magic as far as magus and wizards 
and start thinking of it as sorcerer, which is what the new magic refers to casters as. It's all wild magic, sorcery. So this was a time of great mystery and excitement for some Dragonlance fans. Of course, we cannot talk about the Fifth Age and certainly this trilogy without acknowledging there's a huge schism in the Dragonlance fan base because of this. And I think it's one of the main reasons why people didn't like this novel and this trilogy to begin with. Because it took away from Margaret Weiss and Teresa Hickman the control, which they had already seceded years prior to TSR, of Dragonlance, and it completely changed the Dragonlance that we knew and loved, taking it away from the War of the Lands and the Blue Ladies' War and just forcing this sort of fifth age, stripping the gods away, stripping magic away. It was so different and such a shock that many fans could not get over it and they just wholeheartedly wrote it off. So, Finally, back to the story, we're introduced to Blister Nimblefingers and Raph Tanglemop, <laughs> two Kender who are visiting the Tomb of the Last Heroes in Solace. They meet a character named Domin Grimwolf, uh, who was there and granted a vision by Goldmoon, calling him to the Silver Stair on the Isle of Shalsea to the Citadel of Light. They all end up traveling together and meet Jasper Fireforge on the Windchaser, a boat that takes them to the Shalsea, Isle of Shalsea. Upon arrival, they meet an elderly gold moon. Now, this is an age-appropriate gold moon, and I really, really love seeing an age-appropriate gold moon. She's, you know, approximately 80-ish, 90-ish years old, and she, you know, you can see her in the picture back here at the back. She looks like an aged old woman, which she should. And then the War of Souls happens, and then she looks infinitely younger again. And you can sort of imagine the despair that she's sort of going through at this point. Because this is a gold moon who has lost children, her husband, who has lived through multiple wars, and she's just sort of at the end of her days, and she's, you know, just learned this new mysticism, this new way of, of creating magic, and this magic of the heart or healing of the heart, and she's sharing it with the rest of, uh, well, Ancelot. Anyone who wants to learn, she's teaching them this new magic. And uh, it's, you can understand why she would be so filled with despair in the War of Souls when suddenly she's brought back to her youth and she doesn't know why and she's like, I've already lived my life. I was ready to join my husband. I don't want to live anymore. Why do I have this youth? Uh, it's just devastating. Alright, so upon arrival, an elderly gold moon gives a mission to Daman to take a piece of the true Dragonlance to meet with Palin Majir in the Northern Wastes. Another thing that I didn't really pay attention to when I first read this was the Northern Waste. Of course, now, since the drag Shadow of the Dragon Queen adventure that just came out for 5th edition is all centered in the Northern Wastes, this triggers my mind a lot more, and I'm starting to sort of piece together these ideas of what this laid the foundation for that then later was picked up by 5th edition uh, adventure writers. So, anyway... Uh, he has another portion of the true Dragonlance, and he's going to give it to whomever the heroes are. So they will unite the Dragonlance, find the missing piece, and strike back against the Dragon Overlords. This is the plan early on. Unfortunately, it doesn't end up exactly that way. <laughs> Malice summons goblins, hobgoblins, and barbarian clans to her lair, demanding that they round up other humanoid races, treating them like cattle. And this is just her way of getting food. When they have collected more than their clan numbers, then they can return to her. At the same time, Jasper buys a ship, calling, its Flint, calling it Flint's 
anvil and hires the crew from the Windchaser to take them to Palanthus. En route, they hit bad weather while Raft, the young Kender with Blister, is showing off and accidentally unties water barrels and is then crushed by those same water barrels as they hit bad weather and they sort of go rolling around and he like stumbles down in with them. This was a scene that really I'm like of two minds about, right? They killed off a character that was a sort of you know, like an R2-D2-C-3PO character, the two Kender together. It's like a supporting humor character. They killed him off and then didn't really do any justice in... This is like almost halfway through the novel. They didn't really spend time on the mourning aspect of losing up until now was a major character. They just sort of said, well, they buried him at sea and Blister was sad for a little while. Except that Blister took this young kid under her wing and... Like, she was looking after him, caring for him, always steering him in a, the right direction. And then he's dead, and she just sort of weeps a tear, and then they move on. It was just a little bit too quick for me. I love consequence in stories. I think people have to suffer for their actions. And that's what happened with this character. That's why I say I'm of two minds about this. I like that he died. He should have died. I just wanted the death to be a little bit more meaningful for Blister and possibly for Domin, who has been traveling with them for weeks up until this point. But alas, what can you do? So they bury him at sea and hit the gale, which um, uh, is this sort of uh, strip of, of land and the storm between uh, the Isle of Chalcy and you know going all the way around the northern part of Anselon up until Palanthus. Uh, they're, they try their best to survive these massive waves before they arrive at Karagoth for supplies. It was at this point that I realized I had completely forgotten the details of this story from when I first read it on release. Gene Rabe gets, and I just talked about some of this, but you'll bear with me here. Gene Rabe gets a lot of flack from Dragonlance fans over this trilogy, but I honestly think it's more because of TSR's decision to not allow Weiss and Hickman to finish their Summer Flame storyline and develop the Saga system game which propelled Dragonlance into the Fifth Age for years. Rabe's writing is not bad at worst, and pretty damn good at best. She's developed the characters with just enough backstory to make their motivations believable. She's outlined a world that's brand new to every Dragonlance fan, and carries forward legacy characters with respect. This is a solid first book in the, at the time, new trilogy. So they picked up supplies and set sail again to Palanthus. But this stretch, which took a couple of weeks, proved to be even more harrowing. They actually came across Frost, the dragon overlord, who was hunting in the open sea and nearly capsized their boat, if the dragon overlord wasn't drawn off by a giant octopus. Now I'm going to spare you all my adoration for octopuses or octopi or however you refer to them in plural. But I will just say this. They have more brains than we do, so stop eating octopus. Okay. This allowed the group to dock at Palanthus and gather more supplies to travel to the northern wastes in order to meet Palin. Now, Palin is conferring with the Master of the Tower and the Shadow Sorcerer over the Dragon Overlords. The Shadow Sorcerer goes to spy on Malastrix, while the Master of the Tower and Palin head to the Northern Waste to wait for the heroes. The heroes come across a village decimated by the Blue Spawn, and three of them try to capture the heroes who summarily kill two and capture the third, shrinking it down and putting it into a magical sack. 
Kelandros can see through his creation's eyes, however, and spies on the heroes for the rest of the novel. The heroes arrive and meet Palin, who gives the second of three pieces of the Dragonlance to them, and at the same time, an ogre raiding party is raiding the docks of Palanthus for slaves so that Kelandros can then turn them into the spawn. They end up capturing the other half of the hero's party, who were left watching the ship. Palin and the other heroes return to Palanthus to discover the missing companions and immediately leave to rescue them. They do in fact rescue them by killing many of the ogres and letting the surviving ogre prisoners go, one of which was Fisher the Holderfolk, sort of just in a different form, working with Kelandros, who reported back to the overlord. Just after having reported back to him, Malastrix magically appears to the blue dragon, furious over his dragon spawn. Kelandros placates her by telling her how he's going to create them to give them to her, and then teaches her how to create them, and then sent his blue dragon lieutenant to make Palin pay for rescuing the dragon's humans. Gale, the blue dragon, flies to Palanthus as the companions have returned and collected the last piece of the dragonlance from none other than Tika and Karaman Majir. Then, Gale attacked the hero's ship. The dragon nearly killed the half-ogre Growler and killed the captain's love, Shayun. Damon calls out to Gale and admits that it was once his mount, as he was once a knight of Tachesis. And uh, Gale ends up leaving, and Damon goes, gives chase after her, and try, well, him, her, whatever it is, it's a dragon, and, uh, you know, is going to go seek revenge for having killed Shane. He tracks her into the mountains and fights, I don't know why I keep calling her a her, I'm not even sure it is a her, to be honest. But anyway, tracks the dragon into the mountains and fights it, and the other heroes, uh, as the other heroes are mourning the dead and sharing their fury over Damon's past, blaming him for Shale's death. Palin talks sense into all of the heroes, and then Rig, Farrell, and Palin go after Damon. They watch him kill the dragon who is holding back because they were once brothers in arms. This was a beautiful scene. First of all, you have to understand the dynamic of the Knights of Tachesis. Once you have been accepted into the order as like a trainee, you're immediately paired up with a dragon so that you can train with them, learn how to fight on dragon back as well as you can fight on horseback or on foot. You have to learn and connect with your dragon. So this is not just an animal that they ride to battle. This is a trusted friend, a brother in arms that they're riding in the battle. The Knights of Tachesis did some really amazing things. And I mean, I mean, they just sort of redefined what it meant to be in a knighthood fighting for a universal cause with a clear vision from Tachesis, something that the Knights of Salamnia never could do. So, you, you know, you got to sort of tip your cap. But then to have not only your rider turn against the Knights of Tachesis, but then you also, and you both go your different ways. These are two brothers in arms that fought side by side for years, now meeting up as enemies. Domin is over it. He, he wants to kill this dragon for having killed his friends. He's trying to move on in his, in his new life. And this dragon just put his entire life, you know, basically just flushed it down the toilet, screwing him. And this dragon doesn't want to kill Damon because he loves him. He fought in, by his side. They had each other's backs. They saved each other's lives through battle. Like, they're battle buddies. And so the dragon's doing everything he can to convince Damon to stop trying to attack him. He doesn't want to kill him. Just let's go our separate ways or come join me. But I can't, I can't murder you. And as Damon is actively trying to murder this dragon, the dragon still, even at the end of his life, 
trying to get Dahman to stop and just recognize who they once were. It's absolutely devastating. And I don't know if it's because I was a soldier or I really liked the Knights of Tachesis or what the reason is, but this battle between these two really, really hit me hard home. Right here in the fields. <laughs> so anyway, they both plunge to their apparent deaths into a lake as the heroes are watching, and they end up returning to Palanthus heavy with sorrow and loss. This is exactly what Dragonlance is supposed to be about. Characters that grow to love one another and how they sacrifice themselves for a greater good. We got character development, moral quandary, love, action and adventure, and world building that was incredibly important to this era. How anyone could read this novel and not come away thinking that it wasn't great at this point is beyond me. It must be because of the fifth age and not the actual storytelling itself. If you love Dragonlance and are open to ages outside of the War of the Lands era, you should do yourself a favor and read this novel. I don't know if it's because so much has happened in Dragonlance since it was once released and me just sort of reflecting on all of that and then coming back and revisiting this novel, but I think I like this infinitely more now than I did when it was originally released. So let's see what you guys have to say here. Um, you found it a tough read just because of Rabe's style, just your personal taste, but you often had to read, read sections over. Oh, really? I flew through this novel this second time. I, I really, really enjoyed it, this, this read through. You thought Spawn was a cool concept and one of the stronger aspects of the novel, probably fun for the gaming aspect too. It was kind of a nightmare for the gaming aspect, to be quite honest, because they're, they're really tough. They're just these monstrous creatures, but it did sort of create that next sort of draconian bad guy for this era of gaming. Uh, hey, Just Good Enough, how you doing? You know this is controversial, but you love the Fifth Age and these books. Hey, I'm with you, man. I played the games. I played Saga System when it came out for years. I, I thought it was just awesome. So disappointed that the Shadow Sorcerer was just a Kesis. You love Weiss Hickman, but they let you down with that one. I don't, I didn't mind it at all. It, it sort of made sense once you sort of got to the end of the War of Souls and you reflected back on it. Because, I mean, to be fair, the TSR team that was sort of the game designers behind the Saga system, they had a different plan for Mina. They may have had a different plan for the uh, Shadow Sorcerer. But they didn't really develop either of them enough before TSR called Weiss and Hickman back in to finish out this Fifth Age era. So whatever they were going to be never ended up happening in the first place. So there was no reneging on storylines. And it was just a seamless transition, in my opinion, because if Takisa stole the world away and she was far too weak to really, you know, showcase her power because of, you know, having stolen a world away, it makes sense that she wants to still sort of have her fingers in the machinations of the world, just not reveal who she is. What should be a bothersome rather than it being her is that no one really tried to find out who the hell this new person was. He just showed up in the middle of nowhere. No one asked questions. He just started making massive plans with the, the uh, Order of High Sorcery. He suggested they cancel the entire order and Palin just went along with it. So if you should be pissed at anyone, in my opinion, it should be Palin Majir. So if you need a new uh, body for Kit, why not kidnap a busty barmaid? <laughs> oh no, Kit. I guess they're stuck with those big boobs now. That's funny. Um, I thought it was a weird thing that Kellandros was trying to find. Like he first wanted to get an elven body for Kitty Yara's soul. 
because, of course, he wanted a long lifespan. And then he started to think that draconians have long lifespans and they're incredibly durable. Like, that would be a great fit for her. And then when he finally did the spawn, he thought, you know, these sort of first generation dragon spawn, blue dragon spawn, I want that to be her body because that's powerful enough to match the impact that he had from Kidiara's spirit. You know, who she was as a, a, a fighter, as a warrior, as a commander. And so I, I love the sort of progression of Kelandros's thinking of why he should choose the dragon spawn ultimately over another human, for example. And I also love the idea that Kelandros is not just Kelandros or Ski. He's the Storm over Kryn, yes, but also the Portal Master. I forgot entirely that they referenced him as the Portal Master in this because he was traveling portals all around the dimensions of the, you know, the, the multiverse for so many years that he like opened all these portals for other people to follow. That's how the dragon overlords got to Kryn because of Kellandros. Uh, all right. So what else? You agree the dragon overlords searching for old magic artifacts to extract magic was an awesome concept. The makers of Dragonlance cartoon movie would have agreed with you. <laughs> That's funny. Um, whenever two Kender are introduced in a story, one of them is getting killed. <laughs> Just science. <laughs> all right. So dragons killing each other and absorbing their powers seems like a real Highlander type situation. Yeah, it totally was. But you also have to kind of remember in this era, since there was no magic, you know, external magic in Kryn, and all the magic came from the dormant land itself, which was at that point of the Dragon Purge not even understood yet, dragons were starting to worry that their magic was going to fade, their power was going to fade, just like all the other mortals. And so they, you know, they sort of got this idea of absorbing others in order to prolong their own power. And so from that aspect, yes, it is very, you know, there can be only one Highlander type thing, but it makes sense. Like, at least to me, it made logical sense. Hey, Polyhedra, how you doing? Thanks for doing live. Kender's gonna kender. <laughs> it's true. Rave's depiction of the battles. There were a couple of exciting fights in this one. Yeah, actually, that was, it's funny that we're sort of back and forth on this because I thought that Rave's battle descriptions were too much. I thought she she went into too much detail in the battles. Like, she has full chapters of just a battle scene. And in my mind, that's too much. Like, give me the, the, give me the generic basics of what's happening, and then give me some high points and low points, but I don't need a play-by-play -play of every round and every character's action in that round. I'm not playing Dungeons & Dragons. I'm just reading a book. Like, hook a brother up. Come on. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> All right, so what else? Uh, you're not that read up on Dragonlance. Ooh, well, I spoiled some major plot points for you just now. <laughs> Sorry about that. You like Damon character and how Palin and Goldmoon was handled in this novel also? Yeah, I totally agree with that. The dragon-Damon connection was great and really well-depicted scene. I totally agree. You love the age and you want to do a saga sequel at some point. Yep, me too. Kit would love having a tough body. Yeah, she would. And, you know, and that's the other part about this because Kit is handled so inconsistently. This novel starts with Kelandros <laughs> Skeletor, with Kelandros saying he followed her soul after she was killed in the Tower of High Sorcery in Palanthus across Kryn. And then he followed her soul through the different planes of existence. But we've already at this point been established that Lord Soth took her body 
Tachesis took her soul, and Lord Soth had to send his seneschal Caradoc into the abyss to go get her soul. So the soul was in the abyss, and the soul was in the abyss in second generation. So why they didn't reference Kidiara's soul being in the abyss and in the gray instead made zero sense as far as what's already been explained. And then later when Weiss and Hickman came back, because they were the ones that said she was in the abyss, and you know they uh, with the War of Souls acted like no one knew where her soul was. Tachesis was talking to Kelandros like, hey, I told you I'd give her a soul and you said you would give me this land if you give me the soul. And like, there's just sort of like juggling. Like, we don't want to admit where Kidiara's soul is. But we already know. You've already told us. So it's not a surprise. I don't, it just bothered me. It, it's just illogical. No need to make it more mysterious than it actually is being presented. And just consistency. That's all I want. Just give me a little consistency. I know it's Dragonlance and we can't have consistency, but just for me, <laughs> for Kitiara. All right. Um, Ski has more nicknames than Anna. Yeah, dude, he straight up has so many nicknames. It's ridiculous. In the War of the Lance period, should magic users be referred to as mage, wizard, or sorcerer? Well, they refer to themselves as magi in the War of the Lance era. Externally, they're referred to um, them as wizards. Sorcerers did not exist. It was a sort of a synonymous name with magi or um, wizard. So it wasn't until the fifth age where the game mechanics for sorcerers actually came about that sorcerers actually became like a different type of character. And then they sort of, as soon as Wizards of the Coast bought Watsi and they were developing third edition of D&D, they sort of took that and ran with it. But originally, it was, it was all the same thing. It's just sorcery sort of drawing power from the earth itself. That all came out through the fifth age. As far as Dragonlance is concerned, other worlds may have done different things. I don't know. All right, what else? Skeletor brings up excellent point. <laughs> Two excellent points. Uh, in the early books, when she is a high lord, she swaps men like flower arrangements. <laughs> well, first of all, I don't know why guys are the only ones that are allowed to enjoy sex and have multiple sex partners and not be seen as some sort of tramp. We're human. If you're not married and they're consenting adults, have at it, Hoss. Have a good time. Who cares? You know, I mean, I don't know about STDs and Dragonlance, but as long as she's having them wrap those weasels, then have fun. Yeah, I, I don't judge her for it. I don't think she's lesser or greater than for it. I think she's she's a powerful person that is using her own personal power over others through sex. All the better for it. I think it's great. Uh, maybe it's because her soul is still in the amulet Caradoc hid. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Weiss and Hickman were a little pissed, specifically Hickman, pissed about them taking Soth into Ravenloft. And so he completely scratched that entire thing out of the universe once he got to War Souls. Um, <laughs> Kit's going to kit until dudes tap out and quit. That That's on her tombstone. 100%. <laughs> I love that no one could keep up with Kitiara. Not Erika's, not Tannis, not anyone. Like, not any of her underlings. Like, she was just the 
most badass bitch on the planet. She was awesome. Uh, you have clerics for fixing STDs. <laughs> That's right. Just good enough. <laughs> Hey, if you guys haven't seen Just Good Enough's channel, uh, it's really great. He has a bunch of Dragonlance stuff on there. Go check it out. Engine Joe, they did not want Soth put into Ravenloft. Yeah, no, they totally didn't. They, they were super pissed. And I get it. You create a character. You have your own vision for where you want that character to go. Someone else takes that ball and goes in a different direction. Yeah, I'd be kind of pissed too. Like, that was their baby. All right, so that is all I have. Thank you guys for hanging out. Uh, I had a good time. I really did enjoy this book the second time. I remembered enjoying it the first time i mean i was it was you know over 20 years ago i was just a kid so like i seem to recall having a good time with it and it made us want to play the fifth age game the saga system card based game and so like reading it this next time it well i look really dark in this um it gave me a whole different perspective because you know when i first read it there was no war of souls there were no books after that there was just dragons of summer flame full stop and so when this came out it was like well what's this new world that we were left with you know what at the end of dragons of summer flame what were we supposed to do from here and this had to do so much heavy lifting of not only introducing us into this entirely completely different world but also tie in a whole new set of brand new heroes i mean and and new threats the dragon overlords i had to explain the dragon overlords that's a lot of lifting to do in one book. And I think Gene Rabe did it. I really do. So if you didn't like this novel, please let me know why. But that is it for my review of The Dragon, uh, the Dawning of a New Age by Gene Rabe. Did you enjoy this introduction to the Fifth Age? Are the Dragon Overlords too brutal for Dragonlance? You can always email me at info at dlsaga.com or leave a comment below. I would like to take a moment and remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, ring the bell to get notified about upcoming videos, and click the like button. This all goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. And this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance Saga. Thank you for joining me in the celebration. I've been Adam with Dragonlance Saga. Until next time, Slange Javar.